like Pastor Bob uh, taught us last week, uh, he taught us about what Jesus said in regards to murder, right? And if, if you have any unresolved anger or malice or enmity in your heart, then you are guilty of murder. And what we learned last week is that it's really a heart issue. And Jesus says the same thing about adultery. Now, most of us in this room have not ever committed or had an affair, but listen to the words of Jesus. Reading from Matthew chapter 5, he says, You have heard the commandment that says, You must not commit adultery. But I say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yikes. Right? I mean, Jesus kind of takes this thing to a whole deeper level, doesn't he? With the definition that Jesus gives, we're probably all guilty of having committed adultery. So, hey, at least that put us, puts us all on a level playing field, right? None of us is exempt from this terrible sin. And I know that for some of you, this topic really hits home because you have felt the effects of this sin beyond just lustful thoughts. This topic hits home for me as adultery is something that my family has experienced, not my wife and I, but members of our extended family. And we feel the effects of this sin, a sin that happened over 40 years ago. My family feels the effects of it to this very day. And I know that many of you felt the effects of it also. And I want to say that if you are the wounded party because of this sin, it really is something that you don't quite completely get over, do you? I want you to know that God sees you. And he sees your hurt. He knows that this is not the path that you chose for your marriage. It's not the path that you hoped for. But he will continue to walk with you on this journey of recovery. Okay, so real quickly, when you hear the word adultery, open up your, uh, your bulletin. When you hear the word adultery, what are the first three things that come to mind? Write those down in the blanks there in your bulletin. What comes to mind immediately? How many of you have written down lying? Nobody's written down. Okay, thank you. How about anybody, anybody write down pain? Pain? How about, uh, how about the obvious, sex? Right? Okay. Okay. Well, it, it's no secret that our culture glorifies sex, right? Wouldn't you agree that if there is one God that is prevalent in our culture, it has to be the God of sex? I mean, sex is everywhere. News outlets and marketing agencies, they know that sex sells. Sex is news. 
And when it comes to extramarital affairs in the media, it would seem as if everybody's having an affair. Watching television or watching movies or reading the latest gossip magazines at the checkout counter at the store, adultery is rampant, isn't it? The truth is, is that more people are engaging in or have engaged in adultery than ever before. And I was, I was, it was a lot more than I would have guessed. According to the Institute for Family Studies, 20% of men and 13% of women reported that they've had sex with someone other than their spouse while they were married. And the rate for women, interestingly, has increased by 40% over the last 20 years. And experts attribute that increase to the fact that there's more women in the workforce than ever before. And they tell us that 36% of affairs happen with a co-worker. Another study said that among those who attended a religious service at least once a week, 14% admitted to sex outside of marriage. And that's compared to those who attended a religious service once a year or less. They came in at 19%. (laughs) And it seems, it seems that as you get older, your chance of infidelity increases. The infidelity rate among men in their 70s is the highest among all age groups. Shocking. It, they come in at 26%. And it remains high among men ages 80 and older. Those guys, they come in at 24%. Does any of that surprise you? I mean, it was totally surprising to me. I never expected uh, that those categories would be that high. Now, as much uh, as the topic of adultery can be a total downer, right? It is one of those commandments that we need to hear about and we need to feel the weight of. Now, we've learned in this series that God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses as a way of helping the Israelites, the covenant community, live in harmony with one another. And it's interesting that as you look at the order of the Ten Commandments, you see that it starts out with how we are to relate to God by putting Him first in our lives, right? And then we're not to worship any idols. It progresses on to valuing the name of the Lord, treating it as holy and with reverence. Taking a day of rest is, a, is the next commandment, and it's something that we should all put into our weekly rhythm. And then we come to the commandments where we learn best how to interact with one another, starting with bestowing honor on our parents. And then last week, Pastor Bob spoke on the value of human life and how we are not to murder. We were reminded that all of life is precious to God. And then we come to the topic of adultery. Now, whenever you talk about adultery, you first have to talk about marriage. Because adultery can only occur within the context of marriage. Now, remember what I said about a month ago when I was here. 
I said that marriage is a covenant that you enter into with another person. And I like what Pastor Mark Driscoll says about the covenant of marriage. He says that it's three things. He says that it's permanent, that it's exclusive, and that it's sacred. It's permanent, it's exclusive, and it's sacred. And I completely agree with each of those descriptions. In regard to being permanent, I tell couples who I'm about to marry that there isn't an out. You have to be in this thing for the long haul, as long as you both shall live. I share with them that marriage will be the hardest thing that they will ever do in their lives. There will be times when they want to give up. There will be times when the easiest thing is to just simply walk out. I know many of us have been there, right? But marriage is permanent. And I tell couples that as much of a challenge that marriage is, it will also be the most rewarding relationship this side of heaven that a human can ever have. The challenges of marriage were wonderfully captured in the song several years ago, Broken Together by Casting Crowns. Have a listen. What do you think about when you look at me? I know we're not the fairy tale we dreamed we'd be. You wore the veil, you walked the aisle, you took my hand, and we dove into the mystery. been married for any amount of time, you can relate to this song, can't you? Every marriage has seasons of difficulty, and this song poetically illustrates the importance of staying committed in marriage in both the good times and the bad. The truth is that aside from entering into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, marriage is the most important decision that a person will ever make in their life. So marriage is permanent. 
Marriage is also exclusive. On a couple's wedding day, the two of them are standing before both God and man and making a promise to all who are witnessing their marital vows. They are promising to the person standing in front of them to be faithful and true, forsaking all others as long as they both shall live. So marriage is permanent, marriage is exclusive, and marriage is sacred. Marriage is a union that is ordained by God himself. We read from the words of Moses in Genesis chapter 2. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Marriage from the very beginning is the coming together of two people, one man, one woman, coming together to become one. And Jesus thought that this was so important that he reiterated what Moses said when answering the question that some Pharisees posed to him. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Haven't you read, he replied, He's talking to these biblical scholars, the Pharisees, and he's saying, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh, one man, one woman, coming together to become one. And apparently, this all made sense to the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the church of Ephesus. He said, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. One man, one woman coming together to become one. And much of the sacredness of marriage comes from the way that it symbolizes the union of the groom, Jesus Christ, with his bride, the church. And because of that, it's no wonder that Satan, one of Satan's favorite tactics is to attack marriage. Because he knows that when he attacks a marriage, he's attacking the church. An attack on marriage is a full frontal assault on the church. And I hope that you feel the weight of that and grieve when marriages fail. Which is why we should do everything that we can to protect our marriages from the sin of adultery. So, What exactly is adultery? Adultery is the voluntary sexual interaction between a married person and someone other than his or her spouse. I'll read it again. Adultery is the voluntary sexual interaction between a married person and someone other than his or her spouse. Notice that I didn't say their intercourse. Because as we all know, sex isn't just about intercourse. You know, from our earliest ages, when we're just toddlers, 
we tend to like things that are not ours. How many of you have toddlers? Any, any, okay, okay. So you guys know, if your toddler, even if your toddler has a toy in both hands, but they see another toddler who has a toy, they're not so concerned about the, what they have in their own hands. They want what that guy has also, right? <laughs> there seems to be something inherent in all of us where we're not always satisfied with what we have. And that can definitely be the case in our marriages. We start to compare our marriages to other marriages. We compare our spouses to other spouses. And we start to think in our heads, if my spouse were only like so-and-so, our marriage would be so much better. I would feel better about myself. And on and on it goes, right? If a, per, if a person continues in that way of thinking, they become dissatisfied and they start to want more. And where marriage is a relationship where we should be practicing giving to the other, adultery is the opposite. Adultery is taking of something that isn't yours. It's taking what belongs to someone else. And that taking always has consequences to it. Someone once said, if the grass is greener on the other side, fair bet the water bill is higher too. Isn't that the truth, right? Because the price is high when it comes to adultery. Author Francis Whalen, in the book, The Elements of Moral Science, says this, the crime of adultery is of an exceedingly aggravated nature. Aside from being a violation of the law of chastity, it is a violation of a most solemn contract. The misery which it inflicts upon parents and children, relatives and friends, the total annihilation of domestic happiness and the total disruptive of parental and filial ties, which it necessarily produces, mark it for one of the basest forms of human atrocity. Wow. That's quite a statement, isn't it? One thing that I know about adultery is that it's never good. It's never good. Oh, it might seem good in the short term. It might feel good for a while, but one thing that is for sure about adultery is that adultery always hurts people. It always hurts people. There is always, to some degree or another, elements of anger, betrayal, lack of trust, feelings of unworthiness, guilt, shame. I mean, I could go on and on about the negative effects of adultery. It's also long-lasting in that it greatly affects families, sometimes for generations, like in my case. Because if divorce results from adultery, then the family tree literally changes, doesn't it? We see the effects of adultery played out in the life of one of our favorite biblical heroes, King David. And one of the things that I love about the scriptures 
is that it doesn't hide the flaws of the heroes found within its pages. In spite of what this genius said in her tweet that I came across a couple of weeks ago, this person said, the Bible also glosses over rape, incest, slavery, murder. I'm thinking establishing a moral standard based on a thousand-year-old book written by men who were so good with rape, they elevated a rapist to be a man after God's own heart is not really a good idea. That's the kind of ignorance that's spouted off day in and day out about Christians and about the Word of God. The authors of Scripture, they don't hide the sins of its characters. The Scriptures don't gloss over showing the ill effects of adultery, as we see in the life of David. Read with me from the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 11. God's Word says this, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. The truth is that before David and Bathsheba ever hook up, David already had multiple wives and multiple concubines. This is, however, the first wife that he took that wasn't his. Bathsheba was married to Uriah the Hittite, and Uriah was one of David's mighty men. 37 men made up David's mighty men. Think of it as David's own personal special forces unit. Their sole purpose was to serve him as the king. Talk about betrayal, right? And we all know the rest of the story. As a way of covering up his sin, David instructs his army to place Uriah at the front of the battle lines and to ask all of the, the rest of the troops to pull back so that Uriah will be killed. And that's exactly what happened. And we see from this account, we can see the progression of adultery. It all started with a desire in David's heart for Bathsheba. This was followed by an opportunity for David to act upon his desire. And then the deception happens, right? In that he was trying to cover up his tracks. And that deception led to more sin, and ultimately to the murder of Uriah. One of the hallmarks of adultery is the absolute destruction that it leaves in its wake. And we see that played out in the life of David. Because of his indiscretion, 
he had to suffer the consequences for his actions. 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 10 through 12 says, Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house. Because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says, out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And what God said was going to happen ended up coming to pass. As a way of bringing shame onto his father, one of David's own sons had sexual relationships with his wives out in the open for everyone to see. You know, I'm watching a modern-day version of this unfold right now. Chaos is happening in this family. This dude decided that he'd rather have a girlfriend instead of having a wife. Several young children are involved. And these kids now have a front row seat and are experiencing the effects of their dad cheating on their mom. This will affect them the rest of their lives. And of course, because kids tend to follow the behaviors of what their parents do, the kids in this family, they have a higher percentage of committing adultery themselves in their own marriages. And we see that's exactly what happened with King David. His womanizing traits were passed on to his son Solomon, who went on to have, what does scripture say, 300 wives, 700 concubines. Men, could you imagine a thousand women you got to deal with? <laughs> Crazy. And because of that, Solomon ended up losing his passion and affection for the Lord. God's word tells us, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. Oh my goodness. So now Solomon is not just breaking the seventh commandment, but he's breaking the first and second commandments as well. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. See, what the scriptures allow us is to peek through a window and see how adultery plays out in the lives of the main characters of the biblical story. The authors are letting us see how polygamy plays out with multiple wives and multiple children and all of the challenges that go along with that. And even though it was practiced in ancient Israel, polygamy was never God's intention for marriage, never his intention for family. Remember, one man, one woman coming together as one. See, God gave us a warning in the definitive statement of do not commit adultery. But he also warns us in the biblical narrative where we just simply, we just watch how lives unravel when adultery happens. 
We see that in David's life. One of his sons raped his own sister. Another brother had that rapist murdered. And they all had a lust for power. And the Bible shows us how messed up all of this is. And it's almost as if God is saying, so how does Genesis 2 sound to you now? And of course, the havoc that adultery brings on a family all begins with the damage done to a person. I mentioned earlier that shame is one of the attributes of adultery. The shame involved with it causes people to not want to talk about it. This one woman said that she quit talking about the affair of her husband because of the judgment that went along with it. She said that people were judging her husband for being the one who committed the sin, and rightly so, I guess. But she was also being judged because she was trying to stay and reconcile with her husband. People were constantly telling her, you know what, just leave this dude, leave him. Stand up to what he did. Get out. But to her credit, she was trying to take the high road and reconcile and save her marriage and save her family. And a lot of her friends, they weren't having any of it. So she finally, in shame, quit talking about it. I was talking to a friend last week who said some of the most hurtful things that she heard during the affair that her husband was having, were things like, you must have done something wrong. She also heard this one. Nobody ever knows what goes on behind closed doors. So the implication there, of course, is that she must have done something wrong, right? They were blaming her for the actions of her husband. And along with the issues of shame, there's also the issue of forgiveness, isn't there? Another woman that I know said that forgiveness isn't a one-time thing. Although her marriage was saved after the affair, she shared that she is in a constant state of forgiveness. She said that with adultery, you never arrive when it comes to forgiveness. You have to constantly keep working at it. And adultery, of course, also affects the greater community. The greater communities in which we live. With the introduction of strife and tension and anger and bitterness that is present in a marriage affected by adultery, these qualities also seep their way into the larger community. If you know any couples who have experienced adultery, you know that oftentimes sides are taken, aren't they? I met with someone, again, last week, who shared how this happened in their, in their small church. A man had had an affair on his wife, and for whatever reason, the men in the church, they were siding with the man uh, because apparently the wife wasn't... Uh, wasn't a very nice person. And the women of the church, of course, they all sided with the woman. And as you can imagine, this made for some challenging car rides home after church, right? When I spoke a month ago 
I mentioned this guy, Dr. P.D. Miller. And Dr. Miller, he's a Ten Commandments scholar. And he likens the second half of the Ten Commandments to really about, to about being a good neighbor. And I, I like that approach. One point that he shares is that you and I are to be on the lookout for one another's marriages. As the sixth commandment guards the life of your neighbor, do not murder, so the seventh commandment guards the neighbor's marriage, do not commit adultery. Dr. Miller says that this commandment was for producing a good neighborhood in which one may live and dwell without endangerment, and especially without endangering one's family or one's marriage. We are to honor our marriages as neighbor to neighbor. And when we honor one another's marriages, we are helping to preserve our community so that we can live in harmony. The author of Hebrews tells us that marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. To obey or disobey any of the commandments, like I said earlier, really comes down to a matter of the heart. We saw that in the life of King David. Adultery reflects where a person is at in their marriage and also where they're at in their relationship with God. I acknowledge that all of us have seasons in our life where we drift from God. And for those of us who are married, we have seasons where we drift in our marriages, right? We all experience times where we don't feel the closeness, the intimacy in our relationships with God or with our spouse. But if there's any sort of barometer that can be used to measure where you're at in your relationship with your spouse or in your relationship with God, then adultery has to be the ultimate yardstick to tell you that you're far off track. So I want to say to you that if you're currently being tempted or if you are engaging in adultery, in an adulterous relationship, I hope that our time together tonight has convinced you to fully understand the harm that you're doing and to end the relationship that you're involved in. And if you're sitting here tonight and you feel like that you need to talk to someone about this, perhaps you want to confess, you want to come clean, you can talk to myself, you can talk to Pastor Brent, um, any of the pastors on staff would be glad to walk with you on this issue. If you're someone who has committed adultery, I want you to know that you're not beyond the grace of God. Adultery is not the unforgivable sin. Thank God that we serve a God who's in the business of redeeming hearts, right? After David was confronted by the prophet Nathan about the sin with Bathsheba, David simply wrote, and he wrote this psalm, Psalm 51. I encourage you to read it 
at some point in the next few days. David cries out from his heart and he says, God, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. David goes on to say, You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise, you will not ignore. Thankfully, God redeems even the worst in us. And in the midst of our failures, when it seems that everyone else has given up on us, God hasn't. God knows how to redeem the sin of adultery. God knows how to extend forgiveness. Because he himself has been the jilted lover. If you read the book of Hosea, you'll read the story of Hosea and his adulterous wife, Gomer. And what that story presents, it's a visual parable of Israel committing adultery against God by going after other idols, by going after false gods. And in spite of that, God still had a plan for Israel. And God still has a plan for you.